here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Uh, here is Jeff Jarrett. Beetlejuice, what's hey, up? Hey, Statnut. What'd you call me? Statnut. You know who you're talking to? Yeah, you, Statnut. Oh, my God! Down goes Beetlejuice! It's Mr. Flatnut to you. Yeah! You're listening to Music of the Mat on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Music of the Mat, the podcast devoted exclusively to the music of pro wrestling. It's all part of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. I'm the barbarian, Andrew Rich, and joining me on this episode of Music of the Mat is my guest co-host. He's the teacher of TNA, the Ayatollah of Impact, the guru of Global Force, Garrett, can I give you one more? Go on. His name is Kidney, and he loves to watch people fight. It's Garrett Kidney, everybody. Garrett, welcome to the podcast. Hello, I'm not Dave Finley, nor am I nearly as tough as Dave Finley, but I will watch Dave Finley punch people. That's a thing I'll do. I enjoy Fit Finley as well, and I wanted to uh, incorporate his theme here because he is Irish. You are Irish. You know, make it feel at home. Yeah. It was going to be either Finley, Hornswoggle, or Seamus, so... I feel like his theme song is the least stereotypical, and it's not about limes, so... Or lobster heads. Yes, lobster heads and being decapitated. How you doing, Garrett? How, how's life treating you? Th- things are well. I'm, as you said, when you said teacher of TNA, for some reason my mind went straight to Dean Douglas. Well, Shane Douglas was in TNA, um, not as Dean Douglas, but as the franchise... Which- so he, he could have been Dean again. You never know. Yeah, it felt like a missed opportunity. Why not bring back the Dean Douglas character? That was he was he was ahead of his time. I don't know about ahead of his time. Uh, it was a, just it was a real left turn, you know, to go from being the franchise in ECW to Dean Douglas, the teacher in WWF. Plus, you know, the click backstage. He didn't get along with them at all, so it it was pretty tough for him at the time, I suppose. But it could have worked in TNA, maybe. It could have, and he, Dean Douglas was the most like nineteen ninety five character humanly possible as well, wasn't he? That like pre attitude era naff aiming at like two year olds. It's just like, look, he's a teacher. You hate teachers, don't you? Exactly. It was that run of guys who were wrestlers, but also did other things. This guy is a wrestler, but he's also a plumber <laughs> or a dentist. And he he'll come to Repo Man will come to your house and steal your belongings. And exactly, exactly. Well, today, Garrett. We're here to talk about a man who, without question, is responsible for the hundreds of thousands of hours that you have spent watching, reviewing, and gifting the promotion that was TNA, is now Global Force, or Impact, or whatever you want to call it. Because if anyone doesn't know you, Garrett, you are the go-to guy when it comes to TNA. 
you know more about TNA than anyone else I know, including me, because I thought I knew a lot about TNA, but your knowledge is, without question, second to none. Well, yes, it tends you tend to soak some in when you spend a good, I don't know, 11 years of your life watching the same thing over and over and over again. I'm pretty sure Jeff Jarrett just flat out owns my soul at this stage. Like, I belong to him. I'm like a possession of Jeff Duh. Jarrett's. You, you signed the deal with the devil, yeah. and now he owns your soul for all time. Which, you know, I don't get much in return. I guess I, I get TNA in return, but isn't that more of a punishment? It's like signing your soul. It's like, yes, I will give up era, my, my earthly being in exchange for a lifetime of torture and agonizing pain and misery. <laughs> <laughs> TNA's not that bad. It's not all bad. It's, 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 you know what it is? It's like everything else. There's good stuff and there's bad stuff. Yeah, and there's, there's tons of good TNA stuff. Like, I will shout at people. I will shout at people until they watch TNA stuff. And most of the time, they'll probably get like a restraining order against me for being like unprofessional or showing up to their house and shouting at them, which I recommend that's not something you do. But I will force people to watch TNA. <laughs> By sheer force of will, people will <laughs> embrace the, the, the force. They'll join the force. They'll buy a bunch of lime green merchandise and they'll, they'll be happy being able to be seen from space. When did you get into watching TNA? Uh, like... I kind of stopped watching wrestling in like 2006. I was a wee 14 year old lad, so clearly I was too cool for wrestling at that stage during my my cool teenager years, which were somewhat non-existent. But nonetheless, and my brother randomly got me a copy of the Best of the X Division Volume Two while he was in America, which is a great DVD. And like I'd seen some TNA like bits and pieces because it aired on the Wrestling Channel over here, so I'd seen like some of the Asylum era stuff, but it was usually like. Oh, it's the Dup, Dup Cup, which if you don't know what the Dup Cup is, it was a tournament uh, that was uh, invented by the Dups in which you got a variety of points for like shoving people's heads in toilets or attacking Jeremy Borash with weapons. And that it was, it was interesting, <laughs> but like out of the context, well, even in the context of TNA, it was weird and dumb, but it had its charm if you're like in the TNA universe, but that's that's all the stuff I saw. So it's like, this stuff is terrible. Why would I ever watch this? And then I got that Best of the X Division DVD, which has these really cool animations on it, by the way. So you see like a cool shark boy drawing between matches. And I finally saw people like Petey Williams and Chris Sabin and Sanjay Dutt and Jay Lethal and Alex Shelley and Loki and, and AJ Styles and some old Joe Christopher Daniels, Shark Boy. Of course, Shark Boy, because Shark Boy is one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. And if anybody says otherwise, I'll fight you. I will fight people over the like the the merits of Shark Boy as a pro wrestler, but yeah. And then I was like, "Hey, this is pretty good." So I started watching it regularly, and it's like, "Hey, this is really good." Except when it's not. But you know, it's an alternative, and I might as well root for the underdog for say eleven years. Yeah, I started watching in late summer two thousand and four, uh, and you know I was very excited because here's a bunch of new wrestlers to look at and 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 fall in love with. And back in the roster was was pretty interesting. You had the tag division with AMW, Triple X, The Naturals, Three Live Crew, Team Canada. X division was AJ Styles, Chris Sabin, PD Williams, Sanjay Dutt, Alex Shelley, Shark Boy, Kazarian, the rest. And the heavyweight division was Raven, Abyss, Monty Brown, Jeff Hardy, DDP, and our subject for today, the King of the Mountain, Jeff Jarrett. Jeff was for many years. The Big Bad Wolf of TNA. When I started watching, he was NWA World Heavyweight Champion. He already had the belt three times when I started watching. Uh, if you think about it, Jeff was a lot like Triple H during the same time period, early to mid-2000s. 
Number one, I hated his fucking guts. Yep. <laughs> two, he was the biggest heel in the company. Three, he always had the world belt. Four, when he lost the belt, he always managed to get it back. Five, he had a group of goons with him to help him cheat. And six, he had his own weapon, the guitar. So to a teenage me who didn't know any other type of wrestling, who hadn't seen Japan or the indie scene yet, that old school cheating heel wrestler character, that riled me right the fuck up. And looking back now after all these years, I can appreciate Jeff for being that character. He did a really great job of portraying that asshole character for much of his career, whether in WWF, WCW, TNA. You wanted to see him get his ass kicked by the babyface. What about you, Garrett? What were your first impressions of Jeff Jarrett like? And have those impressions changed at all over the years? See, the, the interesting thing is, as I said, when I jumped on board TNA, it would have been November 2006, which would have been just after Jeff Jarrett stepped off television. So Yeah, after he lost to, uh, I think it was Sting at Bound for Glory, he left. Whereas you jumped on board in the summer of 2004, which was just as, as Jeff Jarrett won the belt and held it for 11 months. <laughs> so I, I think that different like jumping on point like i i don't know i i never had like hard feelings toward jeff like i'd watch that stuff back and it's like oh god why does he have the belt forever why isn't he losing it and uh, and i do you know when you watch things back as opposed to in the moment i don't think you get quite as mad at it so like and jeff would have been a baby face when he first came back in like the start of or in, for lockdown 2007 and then he went away again for another 18 months and he came back as a baby face so i was never really like exposed to full-on jeff jarrett heel in the moment so I, I never really had that i don't know deep seething burning hatred of him and everything he stood for <laughs> which i think a lot of people very reasonably did for a very long time well they certainly did and for reasons we'll get to later nowadays i look at jeff and i'm quite impressed with what he's been able to do as a wrestler, as a businessman, both you know as accomplishments and longevity. He's been wrestling for 30 years, and as far as I know, never had any major long-term injuries, which in wrestling is quite a rarity. I'm not a fan of some of his business tactics over the years, uh, shall we say, but hey, look, it's pro wrestling. It's a carny business, whether you like it or not. You can't single out Jeff Jarrett for being a greasy bastard. No. Because, guess what? There are 50 greasy bastards just like him. Or probably even greasier still. Yeah. In fairness, you gotta grease the wheels a little. You gotta you gotta have a bit of grease. And literally, my first note when I wrote, like, my first note when listening to these theme songs, we'll get into it more. But, like, legitimately, the first word I wrote down was Carney. So, <laughs> I feel like almost the Carney theme ran through his theme songs as well as his career. But... You know, he started his own company when there was no job for him. He's still working in wrestling 15 years later. He turned 50 like a month ago and he's still going. He's still he's, he worked his way into like turning TNA back into global force. That's the like the biggest like like feat of carnyism, I think, in the last like 15 years of wrestling that his company got bought out and then they turned the company that bought him out into his company. And that's just like bravo. Bravo, Jeff. Bravo, indeed. Bravo. But, you know, I know the running joke now is that, you know, Jeff Jarrett is kind of like Toru Yano. He always finds a way to win, you know, sometimes through nefarious means, through, you know, through shady maneuvers. That may be true for now, but that hasn't always been the case. Jeff has had a very dynamic career. A lot of ups, 
Also, a lot of downs. The, the highs for Jeff have been pretty high. He's held multiple championships in a lot of companies, a lot of them world titles. He's been a main eventer in WCW and TNA. He co-founded TNA and Global Force. Right now, he's the executive producer and chief creative officer of Global Force. He's created partnerships over the years with AAA, New Japan, All Japan, NOAA. Jeff has found a lot of success, but he's had his fair share of lows, his fair share of critics. We'll get to all that as we go along here. But, Garrett, are you ready to discuss the theme history of The Chosen One? You're damn right we are. All right, then. We'll start off with our first theme of the episode. He used this theme for the first part of his career uh, when he was part of his dad, Jerry Jarrett's promotion, CWA, in Memphis, as well as world-class championship wrestling in Texas, and then in USWA. His nickname at the time was Simply Irresistible, so it stands to reason that his theme song would be by Robert Palmer off the album Heavy Nova. This is Simply Irresistible. biggest hits. Reached number two on the Billboard Hot 100, number one on the rock tracks, earned him a Grammy. A lot of people know the music video for it. As a wrestling theme, it makes sense. Braggadocio emphasized the irresistibility of the subject, the allure of the physical appearance. That's all well and good. Plus, it's got that driving beat, the funky bass, those synth blasts. Fine, fine, fine. I simply question the choice to use this song with Jeff Jarrett. Because if you listen to the lyrics, the song is about a woman being simply irresistible, not a man. So based on the lyrics, the theme choice doesn't really make sense. Even like the title. It's like, would you call Jeff Jarrett simply irresistible? <laughs> like, like if you if you showed a picture of Jeff Jarrett to 100 people and asked, asked them, would you refer to this man as simply irresistible? I'd imagine most of them would say no, though I suppose this was the 1980s. He was he was a young man with those flowing golden locks and his suspenders. And you know, I suppose I suppose you could see it. Or maybe, maybe this team was like, like super prescient and the simply irresistible bit just kind of refers to his carny nature. That, that like he is an irresistible force of carnyism and that is why he is simply irresistible i don't know well let's list off his traits at the time he's young yeah he's good looking yeah he's got the flowing blonde locks his dad is the booker always helps he's a multi-time champion he won the cwa heavyweight championship the uswa southern heavyweight championship 10 times <laughs> The USWA World Tag Team Championship 14 times, among other titles. So, men want to be him, women want to be with him, and the other wrestlers probably hate his guts. 
because let's face it, being the Booker's son is not going to win Jeff any favors. So it's a good song, but like you said, Garrett, it doesn't fit him. Yeah, I feel like this song would be better suited to like, I don't know, like a 1990s rom-com. You know, like the the mid the middle the middle act of a film, where like the montage of the guy falling in love with the girl, and he's she's just like walking through the street flicking her hair, and she's like simply irresistible. Yeah, that is like the uh, the montage of cute couple things. She's fun. He's kind of dry. Oh, they're flying kites in Central Park, and oh no, the, the kite just went away and hit a tree. Oh no. Yeah, like Tom Hanks is playing the lead, and. I don't know, Meg Bryan. I'm just describing Sleepless in Seattle now. <laughs> but yeah, it may not work for Jeff Jarrett. It is a great song, though. Oh, tremendous song. Yeah, Robert Palmer, rest in peace. Great, great singer. He could do rock, he could do blues, R&B, soul. He was quite the talent, no doubt. So after many years with his dad, Jeff decides to sign with the WWF in 1993. And he gets a new gimmick. His new gimmick is country singer Double J. Jeff Jarrett, who is the world's greatest wrestler, the world's greatest singer, and without a doubt, the world's greatest entertainer. Ain't he great? Yes, he is. His, his father taught so in particular. Well, certainly. His theme song by Jim Johnston is called Tennessee Swing. This is the beginning of a recurring motif with Jeff Jarrett's theme history. Country Southern Music. Given this is Jeff's theme for his country singer gimmick, it serves as a natural start, very calming effect, repeats the same melody, keeps a steady tempo, steady beating the drums, some light piano, nothing frantic about it. It does have a faint swing to it, as the title would suggest. More of a sway than a swing, really, but it is there. That da-na, ba-na-na, ba-na-na. I have to chuckle, though, at the instrumentation, uh, namely the quote-unquote violin. Jim Johnston probably hit number 54 on the old Casio keyboard and played a few notes, and that's how he got the violin sound there. You know what it reminds me of? The whole thing reminds me of, like, a farm level in Super Mario. That, that kind of sound. What, what do you think, Garrett? I can, I can see that. Like 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 Moo Moo Meadows from like Mario Kart or something? Yeah, yeah. Like that sunny pastoral setting in a Mario game. I get those vibes from it. And again, it is quite calm, quite soft. One of the softer compositions uh, from Jim Johnston here. It's also terrible, though. Like, like this is a terrible thing. So. <laughs> this is, you know what this reminded me of? You know when you go to Disneyland... And you're like in Adventureland queuing for Thunder Mountain and there's this just the most boilerplate like generic uh, played on a loop so as not to you, it, it's music designed so for you not to notice it and when you do notice it it's like good god this place is torture and there are children everywhere and then you begin thinking about how this place would be better with children or without children and you should probably build a Disneyland without children but then Disneyland would probably go under but this is all the whole Disneyland related tangent at the end of the day, it sounds like bad Disneyland music. 
But I think that's part of what makes it work as a heel theme, is that it's so annoying, and it just digs into you, and then that in turn makes you hate Jeff Jarrett even more. And then because Jeff is such an annoying heel, that in turn makes the theme even more annoying. So the two go hand in hand here to slowly eat away your brain. That is true. I'll give it credit for that. It's a meant to slowly drive you mad. It's a small world after I was about to say, like yeah, it's, it's, the, it's a small world effect to slowly drive you to the depths of insanity. So this era of Jeff Jarrett establishes two things. First of all, his position on the card in the WWF, whether as Double J, the country singer, or later on as misogynist, I told you not to piss me off, Jeff. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Jeff never got higher than the upper mid-card. Man, he was in the company for three years, which that's that's no short stint in like the WWF for you to run on the spot for three years. Oh yeah, he had success during this run. He was a three-time Intercontinental Champion. He feuded with Razor Ramon and Shawn Michaels, but that was pretty much it. So there was a ceiling for Jeff in the WWF right from the start, while guys like Diesel and Shawn started in the mid-card and then went up from there to be main eventers. Jeff just stayed put. Yeah, like like Brett and Razor Ramon and pretty much like everyone he worked with during that period got moved up. But poor Jeff was just sitting there. Just, just, just stuck in the mid-card. Yeah, he still had his flowing golden locks. At least he still had that going for him and his crappy Disneyland entrance music. But yeah. So yeah, the mid-card status for Jeff is very much established in this run right from the start. What was also established was some of the worst ring gear I have ever seen. Just, just awful ring gear. Yeah, because like, if he just committed to regular suspenders, it would be fine. But like the the multi layered suspender thing he had going, it's like he had like you know the kind of tops Rey Mysterio wears these days. He had one of those, but it's like you know what? It's too conventional. I'm just gonna cut like like little strips out of it to make it pop. Exactly. Google Jeff Jarrett in 1994, and you'll see what we're talking about. He had the regular tights on his legs and a collar around his neck. And connecting the two were like thick straps of cloth that ran down his torso and his back like suspenders. It looked like his midsection was in jail, <laughs> if that makes any sense. Just not good at all. And he, he had it for years. It's, it's the suspenders' fault. He would, have, he would have made it out of the mid-card for it, not for the suspenders. And the country singer gimmick didn't help either. You know, yeah. Good music or not, it just sucked. In fairness, he was a very good singer. <laughs> I, I will not have slander to, su- to suggest mm. that it was not him singing. That is that is libel, and I, I I will sue anybody who suggests that Jeff Jarrett is not a superb performer and entertainer and wrestler and and just all round great man. Jesse James, who? Yes, no one know no no one remembers him and his wacky career. What did he ever go on to do? That Jesse James guy. Real Double J, my ass. <laughs> In 1996, Jeff says goodbye to WWF and jumps ship to WCW, making his debut there in October 1996. He would be there for about a year. For this run, he would use a theme by Jimmy Hart and Howard Helm. This is a song called Good Old Boys.
when Jeff went to WCW, did he talk to Jimmy Hart and tell him, you know, Jimmy, Jim Johnston gave me a pretty countrified theme. And Jimmy must have responded, hold my megaphone, because have I got a whopper for you. What a full-blown, southern-fried country theme. We've got fiddles, we've got banjos, we've got pianos, not pianos, pianos, all going a mile a minute. Tennessee Swing was very much a slower, more respectful type of song. You'd hear it at like a gala event in a nice part of town with like tuxedos and gowns. Good Old Boys is this energetic barn burner. You'd hear it at like a hoedown on the outskirts of town with like a bunch of moonshine and fucked up teeth. This theme is just a good old time down in the country. Indeed. This, the last, uh, uh, Tennessee Swing, bad Disneyland music. Good old boys, good Disneyland music. <laughs> this, this is, it's ba- it is basically, take Tennessee Swing and just make it like 97% more upbeat and happier and add like 17 different more country, different country instruments to it and go nuts. And it, it is much better. It's much, much better. Certainly, it's a lot more fun and entertaining to listen to than Tennessee Swing. Absolutely. It's funny, when I heard the song, again, Mario reference, do you remember Super Mario 64, Garrett? I do. Good Old Boys is basically the music to the penguin race from Super Mario 64. That same type of upbeat, frantic, country-style music. Down, 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 down. A lot less whistling, but still very similar. Yeah, I can see that. And that damn penguin running away from you. What What did that penguin... Why was that penguin running away from you? I, I suppose Mario is terrifying. He usually kills anything he comes across without even thinking about it, so... Well, the thing to do on that level was to drop the baby penguin off the ledge like a psychopath. Well, no, you, you, you get the penguin, you bring it to its mother, then you walk away from its mother, and then drop it off the edge in front of its mother, and then laugh at the mother penguin for having killed its poor ch- poor child. We are cruel bastards. This is what you do in Mario 64, while dancing to Jeff Jarrett country music. So yeah, Good Old Boys would be Jeff's singles theme for his first WCW run, and he had some success. He won the WCW United States Championship during this time. But that was pretty much it. Again, establishing his role here during the mid-90s as a solid mid-carder. He wouldn't always be the mid-carder in WCW, as we'll see later on. But again, it lines up with his WWF run. Jeff has this ceiling above him, and he's struggling to break through it. Poor guy. Poor guy. His dad dad should have just bought one of these companies so he could book him as champion 10 times and tag champion 14 times. Uh, If only, if only. You know, actually, I, I say that if Vince went to jail during that stereo, uh, steroid trial and Jerry Jarrett was going to take over the WWF, that would have been Jeff's chance. Maybe. Maybe. I think, Garrett, you should go back in time and bribe the jury so they vote guilty because, God, God damn it, Jeff Jarrett deserves better. It's like, listen, you don't, you don't understand the stakes here, but if you put Vince in jail, Jeff Jarrett might be pushed and that's, that's more important than anything else. It'd be like Back to the Future. Just go back and, and muck up the timeline. Do you think Jeff Jarrett has a car that can reach 88 miles an hour? I'm sure he's got plenty of money. He, he, he does have Global Force Gold. He has that pyramid scheme going. 
Yeah, and uh, you also had those, uh, what were they, uh, like like tryouts where wrestlers had to pay to get looked at by him and Scott Demore. Yeah, uh, th- those were those were fully legitimate for the Global Force television tapings, which are being released this month. So, you know, comes full circle. Full circle. They, they certainly do. Full circle. Uh, one more thing about good old boys. It's been mentioned before on the podcast that Jimmy Hart has a tendency to repurpose his catalog at times. This song would later be given lyrics by Jimmy and used as the theme song for the West Texas Rednecks. Southern born, southern bred, and when we die we'll be southern dead. We like country music, we love country girls, we got an old hound dog in a pickup truck. We're just good old boys, we're just good old boys, we're just good old boys, we're just good old boys. The lyrics are very good. I'm a big fan of these lyrics. Because basically, Jimmy Hart's just like, I'm going to write the most stereotypical country song humanly imaginable, and I'm going to record it to this wonderfully stereotypical Jeff Jarrett theme song and put it together to become this wonderful good old boys theme song. And I I do love it. It's like, good old boys, good old boys. None of, you see, none of these Jeff Jarrett theme songs had lyrics. So That's true. Most of the themes on our list here are instrumentals. No vocals at all. So we, we, have, to, we have to go off on tangents about West, 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 West Texas rednecks and their hate of rap and their love of country music. Because rap is crap. That is a statement of fact. Hey, remember when WCW booked the West Texas rednecks as heels and the hip-hop group as babyfaces in the South? Boy, that was a great decision, WCW. Oh, I'm sure that went over real well. They really knew their audience, didn't they? Let's mock our fan base, and then, and then we'll also mock people that like rap, and then we'll just alienate everybody, really, won't we? Yeah, r- real crack team we got there in management. Real, real smart decision there. Also, during this initial WCW run, Jeff joined the Four Horsemen, so he got to use the Four Horsemen theme at the time, which was another Hart and Helm song called Coast. Double J is Jarrett, Memphis Ranger. That's what I'm hearing here. That This song to me is such a mid-90s syndicated crime show guitar song. With that, that guitar tone, that riff, the drum machine underneath, the keyboards, that's what my mind goes to right away. Just Chuck Norris giving a spin kick to goon number five. Yeah, I feel like this could have been like a first draft for like the Knight Rider theme song. Oh yeah, yeah. It has that that weird 90s kind of synth vibe to it. 
It's just like, we'll take that old Four Horsemen theme song from the 80s and kind of vaguely call back, because it, it does still sound like a Four Horsemen theme song. Yeah, it still has that kind of that general vibe that comes with Four Horsemen theme songs. Yeah, it has that it has that slow motion sunglasses guitar rock vibe to it. Yeah. But it's a bit more processed. A lot more focus is on the synthesizer. There's also a part where it sounds like a xylophone kind of rhythm to it, like a very mid '90s. It's very much kind of a tonal shift with the Horseman theme. It sounds a lot like me late era Pink Floyd as well when it was just David Gilmore and Nick Mason that kind of sound to it but yeah as the theme goes it's a little change of pace for the horseman yeah I don't remember Jeff Jarrett the four horsemen when you when I said because you true this in the dog it's like Jeff Jarrett was in the four horsemen that was a thing he was yeah yeah it was uh Jeff and the horseman versus the NWO during that whole run did he end up joining the NWO that was years later he was in it later on, but here Jeff was in The Horseman. It was him, Flair, Anderson, Benoit. Um, Mongo. Yep, this was the Mongo era, certainly. And I think Deborah and a woman were there as well. Uh, but that was The Horseman during 96, 97. And they used Coast as their entrance theme. Yeah, they were like, you know, Dean Malenko is the cutting edge modern 90s act. And we really need a theme that matches Dean Malenko's like magnetism. So they, they, it's like, what else can we do? We gotta, we gotta add some, some synth and some weird instruments. And then I'm disappointed that they didn't throw some like banjos in there just because Jeff Jarrett was there. And like the reoccurring theme is like, he's from Tennessee. Let's just make all his countries like bang, 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 bang <laughs> songs. And I'm disappointed they didn't do that for the Four Horsemen. Yeah, they they didn't uh, unfortunately. But while we're on the subject of the Four Horsemen, this brings me to another big aspect of Jeff's career. Stables. Jeff has been in a shitload of stables over the years. I'll list off as many as I can. Four Horsemen, The New Blood, The Magnificent Seven, NWO, Planet Jarrett, Immortal, Jeff Jarrett Enterprises, TNA Frontline, the Kings of Wrestling, the TNA version, not the indie version. The good ones. Oh, shit. Hey, did did Chris Hero and Claudio Castagnoli ever wear Elvis costumes for no reason? I don't think well, so. Well, that, that, that's a good point, Garrett. They they never dressed as Elvis uh, for, uh, what was it, uh, Turning Point 2004. They never did that. Uh, so got him there. Uh, uh, La Sociedad and La Legión Extranjera in AAA. RDX and Rinka King. Oh, yes. The best. The best. I, I knew you'd love that one. Yeah, it was Jeff, Sanjay Dutt, Sir Brutus Magnus, Scott Steiner, and Abyss. What a group. What a group. And finally, the Bullet Club. Jesus Christ. That man has been in a lot of groups over the years. The question is, is Jeff Jarrett still a member of the Bullet Club? He probably thinks he is. Uh, I'm sure he's still got the Bullet Club tights and the guitar, you know, just in case he'll get a call from Kadani one day. You know, you, you never know. I hope, like, whenever he wrestles in TNA again, it's just like, he has the Bullet Club tights. And they don't say a word about it, but it's just like, he's still a member of the Bullet Club. He's there with Fale and Yujiro and Tamatonga. But, uh, yeah, that's a lot of stables, man. That is a lot of stables to be in over the course of your career. Were any of those stables good? I like Planet Jarrett. I liked it too. I like Planet Jarrett a lot too because it had a lot of good wrestlers in there like AMW, Abyss, 
Team Canada, Monty Brown. Plus, they had that, uh, I'm sure you remember this, the segment where they had the funeral for Team 3D. Yep. Remember that? Yeah, that, that was a lot of fun. So, but yeah, certainly a lot more fun that stable than Immortal was, because, ugh, gee, ugh, yuck, yuck. Yeah, Immortal. Immortal, just don't mention the war. <laughs> I was actually, I was at I was at that Bound for Glory, the, the big 10-10-10 reveal. Oh, yeah, uh, what was it? Uh, they are coming, yeah. It was like, oh, so they are just people who are already here? Okay, it's very <laughs> exciting. And that Immortal theme song is terrible as well. The wow, Oh, God, it sucks. It's like, it sucks big time. It's yeah. like a knockoff of a knockoff of an NWO theme. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Chris and I, we played that one on the NWO episode as part of the list of knockoff themes, and it's just terrible. Just, just god-awful song. <laughs> In late 1997, Jeff leaves WCW and immediately jumps ship back to WWF as part of the NWA invasion angle of late 97, early 98. He gets a new theme called NWA Pride. This is, I think, the biggest departure so far of what we've heard with Jeff's themes. We are eschewing the Southern Country music for moody synths. I can't lie, I'm a total sucker for this type of sound. I love it. The the choir-like keyboards that take precedence and set the tone. It's a mood piece, and one that contrasts so highly from its other stuff. No violins, no banjos, no screeching guitars. The only semblance of guitar is like, like 30 seconds in, where it transitions from the intro into the main hook. So I, I like the sound, but it's very strange compared to what we've heard before. What do you think about this one, Garrett? It feels like it feels like a three-minute song that's building towards something. You know, there's like that, that undercurrent is like slowly building, and then it just never goes anywhere. <laughs> So it's just like this moody, like, atmospheric piece. I suppose that's a metaphor for the NWA in general. It feels like it should be something, but never goes anywhere. <laughs> yes, the NWA invasion. This should be important, but... Oh wait, here comes Bombastic Bob and Bodacious Bart. Womp womp. Never mind. But hey, at least they had Dan Severn. So that's, that's something, I guess. Dan the Beast Severn, who I believe I share a birthday with. Oh yeah? Yeah. But yeah, as you said about the song, I agree. I like it. It builds, but it's essentially building to nothing. It doesn't go anywhere. So, uh, Like Jeff Jarrett's WWF career, am I right? Oh, check please. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's fitting that this theme is a departure from its other themes. Because this gimmick, the NWA Invasion era of Jeff Jarrett, was a departure from its previous work. Uh, this wasn't country singer Jeff Jarrett, 
This wasn't Double J. This wasn't Four Horsemen Jeff Jarrett. This wasn't Simply Irresistible Jeff Jarrett. This is a different guy entirely. Even his ring gear. Uh, you know, he started wearing this blue, white, and orange singlet. His hair was all slicked back. It was a different man entirely, hence a different theme. Yeah, we had a different theme. They they were like, we're bringing him back from WCW. We're gonna take him seriously this time. You know, we're gonna get we're gonna get rid of all that country nonsense. Even though we're putting him with the NWA, which has a kind of country stigma to it, but still, we're gonna we're gonna put him as a serious, cool dude, Jeff Jarrett guy now. So it was it was an evolution. He'd matured. Yeah, and that lasted for a good uh, I don't know five months or so <laughs> because during the run he was the NWA North American Heavyweight Champion. And even that didn't work to make Jeff Jarrett seem like a bigger deal than he was. So when that failed, they just scrapped the whole thing. Jeff, I think, lost the belt to Barry Windham, and he went back to the country gimmick. He went back to being Double J, the country singer with Tennessee Swing. Gotta go back to try and dress it. Yep. So Jeff would use Tennessee Swing for about a good six months or so. Then after that, he would switch things up again and get a brand new theme. Yeah, the... the like when there are there there are three like Jeff Jarrett themes on this list that I consider like the iconic Jeff Jarrett themes. This next one is like the iconic Jeff Jarrett WWF theme for me. Right, and probably the reason why it's one of his most well knowns is because this was ninety eight to ninety nine. The Attitude Era is just right up there. It's just full steam ahead. The wrestling is super hot right now, and that is when Jeff Jarrett is at his most high profile during his WWF run. So this song is called Tennessee Jam. Jeff's new gimmick from 98 to 99 was this straightforward asshole heel wrestler. He got new gear, a short haircut, Deborah became his manager, he started teaming up with Owen Hart. So to go along with all that, he gets a new straightforward wrestling theme. And it is straightforward, it's generic southern guitar rock. It's another shift away from his previous themes and gimmicks. It's not as hard a shift as the NWA theme, but it's not country, it's not, you know, crazy fiddles, it's not Double J, country singer. This is proper attitude era, misogynist, I told you not to piss me off, Jeff Jarrett. This is this slap it's it's the slap notes era. Not yet, not not yet. Or at least the precursor to the this like this but like that character is right. is the, the the beginning of this era. The kind of silvery shiny gold or shiny tights. And and his love of Deborah. I actually associate this theme more with Deborah than I do Jeff Jarrett, and I'm not sure why. Uh, you know what? Deborah did have this theme as well. Yeah, when when they were uh, associated, and she used it, I think uh, I think probably after Jeff left. But yeah. So yeah, you're right. Uh, the purpose of this gimmick change, the theme change, was to take Jeff Jarrett more seriously because you know it's hard to be taken seriously with a country gimmick and you know Tennessee Swing as your theme. So with Tennessee Jam. There's a grit to it. There's a hard rock edge appropriate for the Attitude Era. It is a lot more serious. 
That said, it's still quite generic. No lyrics, nothing really catchy about the melody. There's some little piano in there, but it's kind of buried by the guitar. Nothing to hang your hat on, nothing to sink your teeth into. And this, I think, is a good summation of Jeff Jarrett's second and last WWF run. He's got a foot in the door. He's got something, but yet he just can't move beyond the mid-card. He can't reach that next level, that upper echelon of the roster where like Stone Cold and The Rock and others are. He just can't make it to there. In fairness, this was the era where he came closest. Oh yeah, he had uh, yeah he had a pretty good run here. He won the Intercontinental Championship three more times, so he's a six-time IC champ in total. He won the European Championship. Actually, he held both at the same time, so he's the first ever Euro Continental Champion. Yeah, screw you, Kurt. Yeah, uh, again. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he uh, he won the tag belts with Owen Hart. And they had a good run there for a little bit. He had a really hot feud with China over the whole misogyny gimmick. So all the pieces are there. But Jeff just could not get into the main event scene. Because, quite frankly, there was this big stone-cold-shaped barrier in the way. Indeed, he was meant to work like a top title program with Stone Cold as like the heel opposite Stone Cold. And Stone Cold was just like, nah. nope, Nope, put, put the kibosh on that real quick. Stone Cold did not like Jeff Jarrett for a number of reasons. He thought Jeff was too light in the ring. He didn't hit the ropes hard enough. Back in the world-class USWA days, Steve was barely scraping by as a rookie. And Jeff, the Booker's son, was being, you know, treated like a prince. Jeff cut a promo one night saying that Austin 316 was blasphemous. Which he legit thought, by the way. He thought that Austin using Holy Scripture in a vulgar way was disrespectful of the Bible. So all those things combined, plus the fact that Vince Russo, who was Jeff's friend and ally, he was leaving the WWF and going to WCW. So the odds just were not in his favor. And you know the, the writing was on the wall. He wasn't going to get the push. Triple H was going to get that push. He was going to be the next big main event heel, but not Jeff. Which is very disappointing. Hey, that's that's the way it goes, man. Can you imagine like the alternate WWF timeline where it's him instead of Triple H, and then he marries Stephanie instead? Well, considering Jeff was married at the time, I don't know if they would have gone in that direction. Who knows what Jill would have been open to? Well, yeah, who knows? Maybe, I don't know, give Jeff a Mormon gimmick or something like that. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it was originally meant to be Test, so, you know, Jeff Jarrett would have been better than Test. In, in any event, Jeff decides, you know what? Screw it. I'm leaving and going back to WCW. There's just one little snafu, one little hitch. Uh, Garrett, do you want to tell the story or do you want me to do it? Yeah, work away. Tell the story of Jeff Jarrett's flip-flopping. So, No Mercy, 1999. Jeff is scheduled to defend and lose the IC belt to China to blow off their big feud and give Jeff a proper send-off where the bad guys finally vanquished and China wins and becomes the first female to win the IC belt. Hooray, the good guys win, all that good stuff. The problem is that Jeff's contract expired the day before the pay-per-view. It just so happened to slip through the cracks. So on the day of the show, Jeff goes to Vince, and he demands that Vince 
pay him money that he was owed from previous events and the money for that night. Otherwise, he wasn't going to wrestle. So this big match that they had spent weeks hyping up, where China would finally beat Jeff the Misogynist and get the big win and win the belt, that was not going to happen unless Vince paid Jeff the money. So Vince paid him the money. 300 grand. Jeff wrestled the match. He did the job. He lost the belt. Afterwards, he went back to the locker room, got his bag, left the arena, and he has not stepped foot in the WWE ever since. One of the big rumors around this whole affair was that Jeff and Russo concocted this whole scheme where Jeff would deliberately not sign the contract extension so he could demand the money that night. But whether that's true or not, it was still a big deal that Jeff held Vince McMahon up for money and then the next day waltzed right into WCW. Can we talk about how often that happened, by the way? That, like, you would think when Lex Luger left WWF to show up on Nitro, they would have been like, let's not have this happen again. And then you'd think when Rick Rude appeared on Nitro and Raw on the same night, they'd be like, let's not ever let that happen again. And you would think when Bret Hart had to be screwed out of the WWF title, (laughs) they'd be like, hmm, how about we not let that happen again? And then Jeff Jarrett comes along and he's like, lads, I'm not losing this title unless you give me 300 grand. Somebody in the HR department of the WWF from like 1995 to 1999 just was not doing their job. (laughs) Yeah, uh, someone was sleeping on the job. That's for sure. That's for sure. It's amazing, too, how Vince has brought back so many guys. Ultimate Warrior, Bruno Sammartino, guys who went to TNA and came back like RVD and Booker T and Kurt Angle. But Jeff has not been one of them. He held him up for money, and Vince never forgave him for it. Which is why when Vince bought WCW, he went on national television and did this whole big spiel about how he owns WCW. He bought the competition. He runs the wrestling world. And they show a simulcast of Nitro, and Jeff is on the screen, like, walking backstage. And Vince says this. Now, as far as the Jeff Jarrett's of the world are concerned... You know how Jeff spells his name? That's J-E-double-F. Well, you know what? Hmm. I would suspect that we'd spell it a different way after tonight. That would be capital G, double O, double N, double E. Gone. G, double O, double N, double E. Gone. And to this day, Jeff Jarrett is... Persona non grata in WWE. He was true to his word. He's basically never been mentioned on WWE television since. Nope. And and by the way, the story goes that the money that Jeff got from Vince, he used that to help fund TNA. So if it wasn't for Jeff Jarrett extorting Vince, we wouldn't have had Cheeks and Phi Delta Slam and Reverse Battle Royals and Orlando Jordan covered in milk. Milk, yes. Definitely milk. Definitely nothing else. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely milk, for, for sure, for sure. But then again, without without Jeff extorting Vince, we wouldn't have had AJ Styles versus Samoa Joe versus Christopher Daniels, or, you know, Kurt Angle versus AJ Styles, or Ultimate X, or those Motor City Machine Guns versus Beer Money matches, or the World X Cup, or any of that other great stuff that we've had in TNA. So I guess 
you got to take the good with the bad. Yes, without without Jeff Jarrett extorting Vince, we wouldn't have Anthem trying to extort the Broken Hardies for every, every cent they're worth. Yes, that's true. Everything comes full circle. So with the wind at his back and a guitar case full of cash, Jeff jumps ship again back to WCW. The guy's like a pirate. He jumps so many ships. Yar. For his big WCW return, he gets a couple of temporary themes. First up is a song that he had for a couple of weeks. It's by DeWolf Music, which is a production company. It's called Thunder Road. thought you were going to hear the dulcet tones of Bruce Springsteen, I'm afraid I've got some bad news. Because again, we have generic southern guitar rock. This time, not from Jim Johnston, but from a production library. It's got a bit of zest to it, a little more flair in the mix, upbeat guitars, drums, pianos, but it's still quite generic. Yeah, it, it feels like it literally has nothing to do with Jeff Jarrett, though. You know, it's just like... It, it's almost like they didn't know he was coming because like he finished on the Sunday and showed up on Nitro on the Monday. It's like, oh God, oh, we haven't prepared for this. Uh, uh, that one. Track seven, go with track seven. Hit play, goddammit, now. A lot of WCW themes sounded like that, in fairness. Yeah, generic production music, nothing really to say about it. It's strictly, you know, a placeholder theme. But I do want to mention something that I know you would appreciate. Okay. You know how the song has that opening drum beat that's like Go on. That reminds me of the opening to the Flying Elvis' theme, Flying to Graceland. So that's a cool, unintentional tie-in to TNA. I was going to say, the Flying Elvis' theme probably would have been a better fit for Jeff Jarrett. Maybe so. Maybe so. I mean, we've already brought up Jeff wearing an Elvis costume, so it, it could have happened at some point. It sh- uh, some would say it should have happened. Elvis has left the building! Oh, yeah. Jeff also had a theme which he only used, according to my research, for one episode of Nitro. November 15th, 1999... It's another instrumental. This time the song is by Primer 55 and it's called Loose. of the time with the whole new metal craze ramping up you know that late 90s early 2000s kind of sound it's hard to picture this being Jeff Jarrett's theme 
it's way too heavy metal for him. Yet another venture away from his comfort zone of themes, for sure. Again, not much to say about it, really. What piqued my interest the most about it is that the main guitar riff reminds me of Togi Makabe's dub theme in New Japan, A Real Bad Attitude. feels like it should have been like the velocity theme yeah it does yeah that uh mindless new metal instrumental yeah again a complete placeholder of a theme but in fairness they were building they were they, they were taking their time to get get the theme right for for the future king of the mountain that they did they did i will mention that loose was also used for other wcw wrestlers like Creative Control, a.k.a. the Harris Brothers, and for Air Raid, which was Air Paris and AJ Styles. So another little TNA tie-in. Which, what's Air Paris doing? Um, he just fell off the face of the earth. Do you think he's just like... Oh, you know what? I, 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 I think I saw him. I remember seeing a tweet when WWE was in Georgia for SmackDown. I believe Air Paris tweeted from the crowd that he was at the show with his son. Do you think he's just like... It could have been me. <laughs> I could have been the phenomenal one, damn it. I was the star of that team. AJ was just some jumped-up gymnast. I could have been the Prince of Phenomenal. He could have won the crown. He could have had the crown. I could have been the new nature boy. And got that. He could have also gotten the, the freaking fluff from the robe stuck on his head. I've got the word feather there for a moment. <laughs> it's like, what's, the, what's that thing on birds? I could have walked out. Pyro coming down, lift up the hood, look left, look right, throw the hood up, do the arms pose. It's not that hard to do, damn it. I could, I could do that. He just does that in his living room every so often, like looking in the mirror and then sulks <laughs> for a few hours. Exactly, yeah. Honey, it's time for dinner. All right, I'll be right there. He sings He sings I Am to himself when no one's looking. Yeah, but like a mel- it's like a melancholy verse. Like, every day in my life, it's like an inside joke from the outside. <laughs> You are, you are. I am, I am. Oh, God, why didn't I <laughs> sign the contract? Ah. <laughs> uh, all right, it's now time for the theme that Jeff Jarrett is most known for during this WCW run. It's another Howard Helm, Jimmy Hart song, and much like Simply Irresistible, the title is based off of his nickname, His nickname was The Chosen One, so his theme was called The Chosen One.
this is the WCW theme that people associated him with the most during his run. We're back in the southern rock genre, albeit with a more current flavor, even the song is a uh, <clears throat> homage, shall we say, to Cowboy by Kid Rock. Of course, leave it to Jimmy Hart to change a few notes around to not get sued, but a ripoff or not, this is the theme that people recognize as being Jeff Jarrett's theme in WCW, no doubt. This, like as I said, the, the, there are three Jeff, the iconic Jeff Jarrett themes. The, the Tennessee Jam is his iconic WWF theme, and the chosen one, no matter what the intro, because he had lots of them. Lots of intros, yes. We'll get to those in a second, but yeah, definitely. This this was the WCW theme. This was like I remember been watching like 2000 Nitro, or which is a very bad idea. It wasn't very good, but watching all these episodes back to back and I'd actually rewind to watch Jeff Jarrett entrances because this theme song is so good. You know, I checked and they actually dubbed this theme over on the network. Oh no. Oh, like that's, this is why the network is terrible. They overdubbed Mabe in this theme, which is a, a, it's a crime against humanity. They overdubbed DDP's theme, which is just like, what's, what's DDP without self high-fiving and Nirvana ripoffs? And if they, if they overdub this, what's even the point? It sucks because it ruins the experience. When you watch Jeff Jarrett in late 99, 2000 WCW, you want to hear the song. You want to hear the wailing guitar riffs. You want to hear the, the record scratches and the little bits of horn as well. That duh, duh. Most importantly, you want to hear the intros. Because, again, this song had so many intros. I'll rattle them off here in quick succession. There's the clean version, which we just heard, the Slap Nuts intro, which is literally the sound of someone cracking walnuts. The NWO intro. The Chosen One intro. The Chosen One. Finally, what I like to call the Matt Morgan Cho Cho Chosen One intro. The Cho Cho Chosen One. I see what you did there. It's very, very clever. Yes, yes. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Let me uh, ask you, Garrett. Do you prefer the stutter or no? For the, the for Matt Morgan or for the... no the theme song? Come on, man! Come on! I do the stutter is the best. I do I don't mind the NWO one, but uh, the stutter is my favorite. Like the stutter is better than chosen. It's like ch- ch- chosen one. I love it because it's so unnecessary. Like you already had the chosen one. There's no need to add the stutter. Was like management sitting backstage going, you know, that chosen one theme is good, but what if we added a stutter? Oh my god, you're a genius. We'll get on that right away. Or maybe we're misreading it, and it's meant to be choo-choo chosen one, and he's he's Ralph Wiggum's love interest. Yes, yeah, yeah. I choo-choo choose you. I'm going to start writing that fanfiction right now. Well, it doesn't matter which intro you like, because guess what? It's not on the network. 
Total bullshit. Total fucking bullshit. I'm going to write a strongly worded letter. I don't Just WWE, just pay the fees. Please, come on, just pay them. But, like, I suppose uh, it's probably, like, the Nirvana and the Kid Rock ones are probably a little expensive. They'd be like, hey, we're ripping off your song, can we continue to do it? But, like, the Maven one, that would probably cost a fiver to license again. They, like, they, they have my way. They paid for my way again, so... Well, in any event, Jeff Jarrett was very much the chosen one in WCW. He's calling people slap nuts. He's breaking guitars. He won the U.S. title two more times, so he's a three-time champion. He's prominently in the mix. And then, finally, on April 16th, 2000, at Spring Stampede, Jeff Jarrett defeats DDP to win the WCW World Heavyweight Championship. Finally, after all those years of being a mid-carder, all those years of eating shit and, and getting crappy gimmicks and not having a chance to prove himself and be on that main event level, finally, he's getting that time in the spotlight. He is, finally, a world heavyweight champion for a good eight days. Hey, better than nothing. And he was a captain of a sinking ship, so... Well, that's, that's the thing, Garrett, because, yes, Jeff may have held Vince up for money, Yes, he may have gotten that sweetheart deal in WCW. Yes, he was world champion. But goddamn, folks, it's still WCW in 99-2000. It's still the biggest shit show going. The WWF is kicking its ass in the ratings. And no matter what they do, WCW can't get back on top. They're using all the car crash, nonsensical throw every giving match at the wall, hot shot title booking that they can think of, and it's not working. And that period of utter shit, that's when Jeff Jarrett finally got his big run. That was his big break. And as a result, Jeff Jarrett, who is supposed to be one of the top heels, who is supposed to finally come into his own as a main event world champion, well, guess what, Jeff? You're going to lose that belt faster than you can say slap nuts. In fact, I have some numbers here. Uh, so, Garrett, do you want to play a guessing game? Go on. Okay. Jeff Jarrett was WCW champion four times in the year 2000. How many days did he hold the title combined? Okay, so there's eight. So we can start from there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is a nice starting point. I'm, I'm going to assume he had like a one-month run. So I'm going to bring it up to 38. And I'm going to guess that he probably had like a one night run because that's something mm-hmm. WCW did a lot. So I'm going to go 39 and then we'll give him like a decent sized run. So we'll go like a, maybe a month and a half. No, that's far too many. We'll, we'll go six weeks. So how many days is six weeks? Stop looking at stop looking at me as I do math. Um, we'll give we'll, we'll give him 42 on to 39, which brings us to 71, 81. You overshot the mark, sir. Oh, no. 58 days. Oh, no. Four title runs, 58 days. His first run was eight days. Second run, again, eight days. Third run was one day. Well, hey. Yeah, that one. Fourth and final run was 41 days, which, compared to the others, is like Kobashi and Noah. So, there you go. That was Jeff Jarrett's big time in the spotlight in WCW. And listen, that's not only true for Jeff either. That whole year, WCW 2000, it was like they were playing hot potato with their world title. Eight days, one day, vacant, 
less than one day, vacant, a month, four days, two days, vacant, uh, 12 days, vacant, 30 days, vacant. It doesn't matter who you are. That kind of booking does not help anyone. The wrestlers lose credibility because they keep losing the belt. The belt loses prestige because it's been defended and tossed around so many times. And the company loses credibility because guess what? Your main title is a total joke. It's ridiculous. Yeah. I'm glad we didn't dwell on the fact that I added 42 to 30, uh, 42 to 39 and got 71. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm, ha- I'm happy we didn't, we didn't linger on that. But I heard like, you say 81 right afterwards. So you're, you're good, man. You're, you're, you're good. Yeah. I'm good at numbers. <laughs> this like this was WCW at its worst. It's like Vince Russo's idea was just to just throw literally, literally everything humanly possible at the wall and not even give any of it a chance to stick. Just move on. Car crash TV, pure and simple. Just do the gimmickiest, craziest shit to get people's attention and hopefully make them stay and watch. Hopefully get a good rating. But it, it didn't work. The ratings kept dropping. The show kept getting worse. And unfortunately, the guy who was supposed to be one of the top names here during this time period, Jeff Jarrett, a lot of the stink of the product wafts onto him and sticks to him. So when people think of shitty WCW 2000, they tend to think of Jeff. Yeah, in fairness to Jeff, that ship hit the iceberg two years earlier. Oh yeah, that, definitely. That, that ship was sinking long before Jeff came on. I mean, plus in WWF, you had The Rock... Stone Cold, Undertaker, Triple H, Foley, Kurt Angle, Chris Jericho, the Radicals. That certainly did not help things at all. And they, they had they had good soldiers in their own right, like Goldberg and DDP and Booker and Jarrett. Like they were a good new generation, and like they obviously had Benoit for a little while before they were like, all right, go to WWF, we don't care. But which is a bizarre decision looking back at it when they're like, yeah, we'll give the Radicals their release all at once. Fine. That is, if there was ever like an admission of defeat in a war, it's just like, all right, take four of our best wrestlers without any like release clause or any like. Uh, period where you can't use them they can just show up and oh we don't care anymore we've lost but like no matter what those people could never win that war like they they would have never had a chance you could have the best soldiers in the world but if the generals are incompetent you're gonna lose just like you could have the best wrestlers in the world but if the writing sucks then the product is gonna suffer but anyway wcw dies in 2001 and jeff jarrett He's not going back to Vince, that's for sure. So instead, he creates his own promotion, NWA TNA, with his dad, Jerry Jarrett, in 2002. Immediately, he is positioned as the top heel and gets a new theme, My World, by Dale Oliver, of which there are a few different versions. We'll start with the first version, which can be found on NWA TNA The Music, Volume 1.
I like this theme a lot. I can say that with sincerity. Uh, it's definitely up there for me in terms of TNA themes. What I like about it is it's, again, a hard rock song that has those southern twinges to it. But it's, again, it's not like Tennessee Swing or Good Old Boys where it's like the country, the fiddles and stuff and the banjos. It's a southern rock guitar song because, you know, Del Oliver is a southern rock musician. But again, it's not corny south, you know, it's not, it's not bashing you over the head with it. Uh, pardon the pun. Uh, well, hey. Hey now. Uh, two things that stand out to me about this song. One of them is the main guitar riff. That da -na 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 -na. That to me is a proper heel guitar tone. It's very sinister. It just screams bad guy to me. Also, that little evil laugh he does at the beginning, that ha-ha-ha-ha. I like to call that the Shane Douglas laugh. Yeah, it's just a nice reminder that Jeff is a proper villain. Yeah, I, I like the whole theme. It's just kind of a heel theme. It's it's kind of like inherently like obnoxious and kind of loud and in your face and kind of just aggressive. And like the the song is literally about how he created his own world and he's going to use it for his his own to, to like advance his, his own interests. That's what the lyrics of this song are about. It couldn't be more on the nose if the CD was literally on Jeff Jarrett's nose. Yeah, it's like the the, the, the titular "My World" is NWATNA, and and the whole thing is about like how he'll be the king and he'll show the world and it's his time and he's gonna beat everybody. And he's not the rock, apparently, until they sued him and they took that line out of the song. But yeah, in the third version, they actually changed that lyric. But yeah, it's it's so on the nose. The very first line is, this earth is not your place. Yep, I mean, come on. It's Jeff Jarrett's world now. He's back to his, the, like, the time of his dad, or even like the time of WCW when his friends were been through. So it's like, I'm just going to do, like, it's my turn. No matter what, my dad said so, and Vince said so, or Vinnie Rue said so. The other Vince didn't, didn't say so that often. It's like, but now I'm saying so. Well, the chorus says it all. My world, my world, time to leave my mark. It's time for Jeff Jarrett to be this big deal, to be this big world champion no longer held back by Vince McMahon or Stone Cold or anyone else. It's his world, and he's finally free to leave his mark on it. And he did. Kinda. I guess. <laughs> the company's still going. You know. <laughs> what more can you ask for? I want to bring up how the lyrics are not the easiest to hear at times. Some of them are a little hard to transcribe. In the first verse, the online lyrics are, This earth is not your place. The pale skin is on your face. I hear, this earth is not your place. Don't tell me again what's on your face. Yeah, I, 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 I can hear that. I can hear that on a too many limes level. Here's another one. Online goes, I get high with all my pain. Welcome to the who's insane. Hold your lies and accusations. Don't mean ja to my situations. I hear, I get high off all the pain. Welcome to the who's insane. Which, no matter what, is confusing as all hell. Like, what does that even mean? That's not even a sen like that's not even a coherent sentence. Yeah. Never mind. All your lies and accusations going down to my situations. There's also a part which we, we think we brought up where he takes a shot at the Undertaker and the Rock, which is uh, he ain't dead, he ain't the Rock. Don't want to hear your big mouth talk in my world. So is that him saying, hey, you know those two really awesome wrestlers that a lot of people love? Well, guess what? Jeff Jarrett is not like them. Okay. He's 
in his defense, he's just being honest. It's just like those two big stars who you love and you like to see all the time. I'm not like those guys, okay? <laughs> it's it's okay. I'm I'm here in my world doing my thing on my own little scale where no one can overshadow me. The second version of the song is the extended mix, and it's found on NWA TNA the Music Volume Two. got this new intro which has a nice build up to the song. The song is also a bit more countrified where it has Dale adding some twang guitars to the mix. I want to bring up though the video for the song. It's on YouTube. During the intro it keeps switching between shots of a map of like these different countries and cities around the world sort of like implying that oh Jeff has rustled and won in all these different cities and shots of Jeff Jarrett walking on train tracks for some reason. Probably, you know, somewhere in Nashville, I don't know. Yeah, he's, he's out in his own world now, you know. He's, he's, not, he's not on the train on the tracks. He can go anywhere he likes on the tracks. Because, like, this theme song is used... It was mostly used while he was NWA champion. So, like, the, the idea of showing, like, the globe and all the countries is, like, he was this big globe-traveling champion, this, mm-hmm. you know, world superstar who beats everybody everywhere. And it, it, I, I do like the way that, like, it transitioned into the theme in, in, in a pretty neat way. Yeah, there's a nice drum roll into the main body, which I like a lot, too. Our third and last version that we'll discuss is the shortest version of the theme, and it's on Third Degree Burns, The Music of TNA Wrestling, Volume 1. the shortest mix of three it does change the intro slightly instead of it going it goes so it, it uses the full evil riff as opposed to just like the final three notes or so and it also holds off the vocals for a few more seconds there's also that lyric change I want to point out instead of he ain't dead he ain't the rock it's now I believe he ain't dead he ain't dead so, really emphasizing the fact, I guess, that Jeff is a living human with a pulse. I always thought it said, he ain't dead, he ain't Jack. 
Oh, really? That's the that's always how it sounded in my in my head. I I assumed that we were like, uh, kindly don't use our copyrighted content in one of your theme songs. <laughs> and then Dean are like, okay then. I, I do think like the intro is a is a big upgrade because like it has that kind of like the best entrance themes always have that like that initial punch, you know, the the visceral gut reaction that you want from the theme song. And I think I think this version of that theme of my world has that way more than the other two themes. Yeah, it really gives you that visceral feeling of dread because you know that Jeff Jarrett is going to come out and he's a real big asshole. So, boo. <laughs> there were there were actually a couple more remixes of this theme song. Really? They had one for I think it was Victory Road 2006 where they did Oh, like, yes. Yes, 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 yes. The uh what were they? The little intro remixes they had. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they, they, they had them for Sting. I think they did one for Raven once. They had one for Joe. They had one for Steiner, I want to say. And they had Jarrett, which it, it was kind of like a, a kind of moderately remix that had like the do news kind of spread. The idea of building anticipation. Also, the, the, I think the most important remix of this theme song is the Karen Jarrett version. Oh, God, no. Oh, Jesus. Which is kind of like, it's kind of boppier. And I don't want to say womanized because I think that sounds reductive a little. But I think that's the intent. That's like, it's the woman version of the Jeff Jarrett theme song. It, it's mostly just the instrumental. So it's like, boo, new, boo, new, boo, new, new. So it's, it's a little like kind of peppier, a little more enthusiastic, a little less like mustache twirling villain. So, yeah. I'll put it in here. Just a little taste here. So they, they've gotten their they've gotten their legs out of my world, which is probably uh, I don't, I don't want to say this definitively because there there are a bunch of like like stock TNA themes they use, but this is probably one of the first TNA themes ever composed. I mean, it, it's got to be part of that first batch of songs because it was on the first album, so you got to imagine it was. Because like on the first show, they had the the Flying Elvises as well. They had their own theme song, and they had the Born and Raised in the USA one, which they used to death for like seventeen different people. Yeah, AJ Styles had that song. Uh, Chris Candido had it too, I think. Yeah, Jerry Lynn used it for a while as well, and. Yeah, th- this was one of the first theme songs they actually composed for a specific wrestler because, of course, only Jeff Jarrett got his own theme song. Did Scott Hall use Scott Hall used Marvelous Me in the first show, didn't he? Hmm. I know when he came out for the Gauntlet match, he didn't have music. 
Yeah. He, Maybe that, it was the second show he started using it, perhaps. That would have been one of the earlier theme songs as well. And what turned out to be Abyss's theme song, which they used for Monty Brown for a while. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So that, 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 that like, like, without the intro... Actually, no, it had the intro as well. So yeah, basically Abyss's theme song, which they used for Monty Brown and then brought back for Abyss years later, would have been one of the earlier ones as well. But yeah, I, I'd assume my world was probably... But like, I assume... If you're going to start a company and build it around Jeff Jarrett, the first thing you're going to do is write his theme song. Item 1A on Dale Oliver's to-do list. Write Jeff Jarrett's theme. That's number one with a bullet. (laughs) Oh, Dale. I love Dale Oliver. Uh, I love him too. Love him too. Let's play another guessing game here. Jeff Jarrett held the NWA World Heavyweight Championship six times over the course of four years. How many days in total did he hold the belt? Ooh, days. So he would have had the 11-month reign, which would have been about 330. Then I think he had about a five-month reign, which... Oh, God, you're making me do math again. <laughs> let's, th- let's throw another 150 on top of that. Um, the Christian, that would have been four months. So... Oh, God, there's six of these. <laughs> I'm doomed. I'm just going to throw a number. I'm going to go, like, 850. 1006. Oh, good God. That's a long goddamn time. He held that belt for so long. <laughs> his longest reign was 347 days. Compare that to his longest reign in WCW as their world champion, 41 days. And you're going to notice quite a difference there. Yep. And that is still the longest heavyweight title reign in TNA history. Bobby Roode came close. Bobby Roode held the belt from October to July. So he was about two months short. But... No one else has actually come there. AJ held the belt for like seven months. So yeah, Jeff's is like, no one will ever beat my reign. Yeah, Jeff, Jared, and TNA for a solid four years was indeed the king of the mountain. He was the world champ. He feuded with all the top guys like Sting, Kurt Angle, AJ Styles, Samoa Joe, Raven. He was the heel in TNA for those first four years or so of the company. He was the big bad wolf. And even though... He hasn't been the world champion since 2006. He has still had plenty of time in the spotlight, whether it was the Kurt Angle feud or as part of Immortal. And even though Jeff doesn't wrestle in TNA anymore, he's still running the company as Global Force. He's still top management. So TNA, Impact, Global Force, whatever you want to call it, it's still Jeff Jarrett's world. It is. And you know what? In his defense... Like he did run, run like run roughshod over TNA for four years, but like when you look at that era, who else could have credibly been like NWA champion? You know, you could have put the belt on Scott Hall, I guess. But like you had Killings, you had Styles, and you had Raven, and they basically bounced the belt between Jeff and one of them constantly for about four years. Then you had Christian, but then like when they got Christian, when they got Angle, when they got Sting, he stepped aside. So, you know, you can make a, a reasonable case that he, he kind of did right by the company in the long run. He was obviously still, like, a featured player on television. And I'm pretty sure, had his wife not died going into Slammiversary 2007, he probably would have become the first ever TNA champion. But, you know, he he did, he stepped aside when he wasn't needed anymore. And when, you know, the spotlight was there for other people. So it was it was his world. But he, was, he, he eventually allowed other people to live in it. At the end of it all, what is there to say about Jeff Jarrett? The key thing I think that people argue about with Jeff is his impact. No pun intended. 
Uh, that pun was entirely intended. Don't you? Don't you? All right, all right. I admit, yes, pun was intended there. Uh, seriously, though, what what is Jeff's impact on the wrestling business? What is his legacy? Well, Mike Graham once said that Jeff Jarrett broke six thousand guitars and never drew a dime, which is unfair to say. First of all, no one draws dimes; they draw dollars. Okay, this is a paper money business. Take your metal coins and fuck right off. <laughs> Second, I think with Jeff, it's easy to throw shade at him and downplay what he's done in wrestling. You can say, oh, he was a mid-carder in WWF. Oh, he was, you know, a world champion WCW, but it was a sinking ship and he didn't help at all. Or you could say, yeah, he was a big deal in TNA, but it was his company and he booked himself to be on top for all those years. It's easy to say all of that. And there are elements of truth in there as well, no doubt. But the one thing you cannot take away from Jeff Jarrett, the one thing you have to recognize about him, is that at the end of the day, he is ultimately Littlefinger from Game of Thrones. He doesn't have that weird accent that Aiden Gillen has. The weird changing an accent that changes every single no, scene. No, he, he doesn't, thank God. But he's still a survivor. He always has a plan. He's always got something cooking in his Tennessee brain to be on top, and to make money, and to be number one. He spent the better part of a decade going back and forth between WCW and WWF as a mid-carder trying to prove to people he could be a main event champion. And when he finally became that main event champion, WCW imploded. He couldn't go back to WWF for obvious reasons, so he forms TNA, his own promotion, where he could be world champion for as long as he wants, as many times as he wants. And Jeff has some hits, he has some misses, but at the end of the day, the most important thing is that TNA is Jeff Jarrett's company. Until it's not. Because in 2013, Jeff Jarrett resigns from TNA. He is ousted from his own company. But don't worry about Jeff, he has a backup plan. Global Force Wrestling, his new wrestling company, which he makes a big hoopla over about baseball stadium tours and TV tapings and a New Japan partnership, which all ultimately lead to bupkis. The baseball stadium shows had low attendance and were paid shows anyway. Jeff was never able to sell the TV tapings to anyone, and the New Japan partnership fizzled out after a few months. So things were looking pretty dire for Jeff. But who should save Jeff as his guardian angel, Anthem Sports. Anthem Sports buys TNA and reinstalls Jeff Jarrett as a top executive. He is back in the company as top management like he never even left. The cherry on top being that TNA is now known as Global Force Wrestling. The man is a schemer, he is a planner, he is a survivor, he is a winner. Do not doubt Jeff Jarrett. Game of Thrones? No. Game of guitars, motherfucker. And in that game, it's not you win or you die. It's you win or you choke on that, slap nuts. Wow. Garrett, I am not finished, please. Sorry. That's okay, I forgive you. It's like an instinctive, it's like an instinctive gut reaction to the word slap nuts. <laughs> Chaos is not a pit. Chaos is a ladder. And to win the match, you gotta climb the ladder and put the belt on the hook. But first, you gotta pin someone to be eligible to climb the ladder in the first place, and then the person you pin goes to the penalty box, and it's just a whole big to-do. 
and then and then the the, se- the second you hang the bells, you, you you just take it back down. It's very anticlimactic. It's a bit anticlimactic and also a bit overbooked for many people's tastes. But hey, that's the king of the mountain. That's Jeff Jarrett. No matter what, he will end up on top. Garrett, my little rant is over. What are your final thoughts on Jeff Jarrett? His first theme song, we talked about this, Simply Irresistible. Jeff Jarrett, in, in, in all my like readings of Jeff Jarrett and all of like the exchanges I have known to him to have with people, he is probably like the most charming human being going. Like everyone loves Jeff Jarrett. Any like meeting or relationship or, or like like whether a television company, an international company, anybody that meets with Jeff Jarrett, it's like, oh, he's charming. He charmed the pants off. He's uh, great energy. I want to work with him. And that that's that's Jeff. He's, he's the carniest of the carnies. He's the charmiest of the charmers. And he will not lose. His dumb global force company won't. He'll, he'll literally go begging everybody under the sun to freaking show his television, and no one will. And then, like the parasite that he is, he'll just leech himself back onto TNA and slowly turn it into his vision for global force. Because he wins at the he wins in the end. He'll keep going. Like global force didn't work, but he bloody well made it work. And that's Jeff Jarrett. No matter what, he'll make it work. No, whether whether Vince wants to put him in dopey suspenders and have him sing country songs or whether Vince Russo wants him to wear stupid shaded sunglasses and, and strut around slapping Beetlejuice with guitars or whether TNA want like down goes Beetlejuice <laughs> or whether TNA want like puppet the psycho dwarf to pull a gun on him in the middle of the ring Jeff Jarrett will win in the end that is that is the moral of the story don't don't go against Jeff Jarrett you will lose it's like with most of Jeff's entrance themes, there's a warm feeling to them because they're very country, they're very southern. They draw you in, they make you feel good with the guitars, the violins, the banjos, and that's true with Jeff Jarrett as well. He's got that southern charm, and damn it, he's going to use that charm to worm his way to the top. Can't beat the banjos. No, you cannot. How about this? We'll call him Yoshinobu Jarrett from now on. How's that? <laughs> Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Music of the Mat, part of the Voices of Wrestling podcast network. Thank you so much for listening. Check out past episodes of the podcast at VoicesOfWrestling.com. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Music of the Mat, or you can follow me on Twitter at Andrew T. Rich. Make sure you rate, review, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you listen to podcasts, and make sure as well, tell your friends about it. Do your part to spread the word. Garrett, plug away, sir. Oh, plugs. Okay, you can follow me on Twitter at Garrett Kidney, G-A-O-R-E-T-T-K-I-D-N-E-Y. I always spell my name because there's two R's and two T's and that's weird. Though it's it's more American, isn't it? I, I think that's more the, like we, we over here, we tend to spell it with like one O and H's, which I think is an abomination. That's G-A-R-R-E-T-T. Oh, I didn't tell that story. I should have told that story. But I met I met Jeff Jarrett at like a fan convention once. And it was like, oh, so he's like, what's your name? It's like, oh, it's 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 Garrett. It's like Jarrett with a, a G. And then it's like G-A-R-R-E-T-T. And then he laughed and I was happy. Oh, that's so sweet. But yeah. You can follow me on Twitter. I do uh, writing stuff, Voices Wrestling, Impact Review every week. You can read that. I occasionally pop up on this podcasting network. I am what Joe Lanza calls the baseline of the Voices of Wrestling podcast network. <laughs> you can listen. I, I did an interview with Dave Lagana about WWECW and Jerry Borash talking about TNA. And yeah. Oh, yeah. I also do podcasts over at Wrestling Awards as well. You can find Your Taste is My Taste over at uh, soundcloud.com slash www audio. 
So those are my plugs. Plugs galore. On the next episode of Music of the Mat, I will be joined by Jojo Remy. Jojo is the host of Japanese Audio Wrestling. And together we will be doing current day All Japan Pro Wrestling entrance themes. I don't watch All Japan Pro Wrestling. Therefore, I have no idea what the entrance themes are like. So Jojo is going to come on and be my guide through the world of Kento Miyahara and Jake Lee and Zeus and the Body Ga and so many others. So look for that in a couple of weeks. Episode 15, current day All Japan Pro Wrestling entrance themes with Jojo Remy. Garrett, thank you so much for coming on. This was an absolute blast. Make no mistake, you will be back on for sure. We, we, we can do a deeper Dale Oliver dive where we just read his lyrics, such as IT's You Touch, which never read the lyrics to IT's You Touch. That's a terrible idea. Or maybe we'll do the Three Live Crew podcast that we talked about before we started recording. It'll be the remix coming for you. Well, for Garrett Kinney and for Chris Maffei, I'm Andrew Rich, and we'll see you next time on Music of the Mat. Take care, everyone. <laughs> Music of the Mad is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The songs used throughout this show are property of their respective copyright holders. Here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations. Limited time only. Plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery.